Amen. Good afternoon, saints. Good to see you this afternoon. We're going to continue in our series, The Bride of Christ. Today's um, sermon is titled, Built to Last. If you would, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. I'll be reading out of the ESV this afternoon. And while you, while you get there, um, just thinking about something being built to last. One of the things that we look for when we are buying something, especially something like a car, is how reliable it is. And we pick name brands that we think this car is going to last. Some of us found out that that is one of the most important things you want to do when buying a car because we've made mistakes in the past where maybe we bought a car thinking it looked cool um, and not checking how reliable it was going to be and figuring out it's not so cool being stuck on the side of the road. But everything in our life from our cars to our homes to our bodies seem uh, to be in a, a trajectory downward and decaying. Uh, things always seem to be going in an area where even as we try to maintain it, uh, they don't last. But one thing that we know is God who has built his church, has built it to last. One thing that we know is the creator of heaven and earth, of all the universe, the one that put the stars in place, the one that tells the seas you can go this far and no further, he is the great architect of the church. We spoke last week about the church not being a building, uh, but the church is the people that gather. We are the church. So as God is building his church, he's speaking about building us as well because we are his church. And that's some good news. If you don't mind, please stand with me for the reading of God's word again. We're in Ephesians chapter 2, and I'll be reading out of the ESV. And the text reads this way. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that one time you Gentiles of the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Into a dwelling place by God by the Spirit. Father, we so thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the great architect, the maker of heaven and earth. And it is you who is building the church, who formed the church, and Jesus, the head of the church. We thank you that this is a continual work that you are doing in your church and each one of the lives of the saints. Help us today, Lord, to hear, to understand a little deeper your plan and what you have called us to, that we would glorify you, that we would appreciate your goodness and fall deeper in love with you, which motivates us to be about your business to follow your commands, to want to stay close and near. All of these things are graces that are a gift from you. Would you bless us that way this day? In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the text starts out saying, and you were dead in your trespass and sin. The, the, the text starts with, a condition, dead. Most stories don't start that way. Most don't, stories don't start at a point of deadness. Most stories don't start from a point of deadness because where do you go from there? It, it's so final. But Paul is not speaking here about physical death nor about the sinner's ultimate faith in the sec fate in the second death, nor is he speaking in figurative terms. What, what is meant here is a real and present death, the most vital part of man's personhood, the spirit, is the most important factor in life. And here he's speaking about those that are dead in the spirit to God. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Sometimes we hear words like trespasses and sin, and, and we group them all together, but they mean different things. A, a, a trespass is to step over the line. A trespass is to go too far. To, to step into a zone where you should not be. 
Um, it's a trespass when your child forgets who they're speaking to and their parents, and you're like, hey, buddy, you're over the line. That, that's what a trespass is. A sin is not meeting the standard. A sin is, is falling short. It is, it is missing the mark. But they both boil down to the same thing, disobedience. So the text says here that um, we were dead in our trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, we are all following something. It says, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We all have passions and desires. What are they motivated by? In the past, for the believer, it was the passions in our flesh, carrying out those desires in the body and in the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, the text says. So that immediately lets us know the condition of those that are not redeemed. They are children of wrath. They are those that are called sons of disobedience. But God did a work in the life of his children. If verse 1 describes the, our former condition, verse 2 and 3 cause, tell us the cause of our former condition. And it states the current state of the unregenerate world. But verse 4 starts out this way, but God. So this was our condition, this is why we found ourselves in that condition. But then the text says, but God. There's never been a time that I've read the Bible that I remember hearing, but God, and it not be good news. When we hear God, we know that a reversal is coming. When, when we hear, but God, we recognize there will be an intersection. This is where God comes in and intervenes in our situation. This is where change occurs. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, God having great love for us, to the point, it says, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Often we uh, can muster up some kind of love for a person when the situation changes. But this says that God had this great love for us even when we were dead in our trespasses and made us alive together with Christ. That, that word together is important because as we're going to see, it is what God does in unity and being able to unite the sinner to a holy God and the Jews and Gentiles to one another. It says, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us. He has positioned his church, his people with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is, that is amazing. You usually get a position when you earn it. We don't normally have positions come our way that we are ill-equipped for. We usually work towards something. But that's not the case here. Because of God's great love, because 
of who we are in Christ, we have been seated with him. And it says, so that in the coming age, we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is, in a nutshell, what redemption is. And it has been made possible for man to be brought from death to life because of his great love. He resurrected you and I from the grave with Christ. You who were dead in your trespasses and sin. Not only did he resurrect you, but he positioned you with Christ. None of these things could we do for ourselves, and none of these things did we deserve. So none of these things can we brag about. It's all been given to us as a gift. The text goes on to say, you are his workmanship. That, that is, he is fashioning you. He's fashioning each and every one of us. He is working on us through fire, through rain, through ups, through downs, through highs, through lows through the hard circumstances in life, through the hard relationships in life, he is doing a work in us, making us look more like Christ. Catch a hold of that because we all are going to continue to go through things. But if you don't recognize God is good, nothing comes into my life it being filtered through his hands. So if he allowed it, he's doing something in it. It could be a very hard situation. It could be a difficult situation. It could be something that's bad, that just came our way. It could even be something that we're paying a consequence for that we did. But even in those things, God is doing a mighty work in each one of us as his workmanship. As you know that, it is so different when you walk in that as you're walking out trials and temptations and all these kind of things that come our way in this world. The text says that we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for something. It says it's for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What he's creating us for as the church is not so we could be up and stay on our own agenda and do what we want to do. No, he has good works for us to do as he's doing a work in us and these things he ordained before the world even began. That, that, that is a big deal and something for us to have a confidence in as we walk these things out. He is not reactionary. It's not like something happens in our lives and then God's like, oh, well, what am I going to do to make this situation? No, God doesn't operate like that. He doesn't have to do anything to make these situations right. Everything is filtered through his hands. We live in space and time. God is not subject to those things. God is transcendent. God is above creation. God is not subject to the natural laws that we go through. He knows everything. And he is doing a perfect work in his church, which is us, each one of us. And because this is true, the text says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated 
from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers of the covenant of promise. You had no part in the promise. You had no part in the covenant. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off has been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We got to break that down. We have to understand what is being said here. First off, Paul here is speaking to Gentiles. That means everyone who is non-Jewish. We as Gentiles had no part in the promise of God. We were afar off. We were strangers to the covenant. We had no hope. And here is called uh, the dividing wall of hostility. Josephus, who uh, was a Jewish historian in that time, spoke of this, this middle wall, this fence that was in the temple in Jerusalem. Separating the courts of the Gentiles from the temple proper. In other words, there was a point that the Gentiles could not pass going into the temple. Only Jewish people could go a little further in. He said that on it was an inscription that read, no foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Wow. Catch what's going on here. This plan of salvation is being laid out. And, and, and it starts with speaking of the condition that we find ourselves in. And, and then why the condition in, is there, and then what God did about it. And then he tells us, remember, Gentiles, you had no part in this. I had picked my chosen people that I have revealed myself Two, which were the Jewish people that walked out and carried my laws and the understanding of who I was. And in that, I told them, stay separate from everyone else. And the reason I said stay separate from everyone else was because I did not want the way they would worship me to be distorted by the those that lived in darkness would worship other gods and those things would be mixed in together. And now we come to a place where the temple is where they come to worship God. But the Gentiles could only go to a certain place. And they said, if you are go past this, recognize you just put your life into your own hands and you're responsible for what happens to you, which will be death. It is a physical example showing us our spiritual condition and how we had no part in the promise. The text goes on to, to say, um, but even in this, before we get to that, one of the things that we know is that that temple didn't stand. And in A.D. 70, that temple was destroyed. So uh, that, that partition itself was even demolished. But Paul is saying that's already destroyed because God destroyed it on the cross. Jesus on the cross took away that dividing line. Verse 15 starts by saying, by abolishing the law and the commandments expressed in the ordinances that we might create in 
that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. Catch this. So making peace. It might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is saying that the Jews and Gentiles were able to have access to God because of the cross. They were both made into one people. It's been described like this. God took, let's say, the Jews and they were silver. And then he took the Gentiles and, and they were lead. And he put it into a furnace and gold came out. Where, where he did not say, well, I will bring the Gentiles up to the level where the Jews are knowing me and my ordinance. No, he had already said that the law was going to be abolished because they actually found themselves in the same, in the same situation where the Jews could not keep the law perfectly. So they had a problem. The Gentiles were afar off and in darkness and did not know the one true God. So God said, I will, through the cross, bring about unity. Not only to the Jew and the Gentile that needs to be reconciled to me, but being reconciled to one another. A big part of us walking with the Lord and him doing a work where he can bridge sinful man with a holy God and there not be any separation and us having access to him in the same way he does that within mankind. We, we notice right away in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, not only was there separation between them and God, there was separation between each other. And here is given an example of that. Here we see that they both had a problem, one group being far off and the other group being near, but it's still being not what God wanted and not what God had ordained for his people to know him. A clear example of this is the parable of the prodigal son, which is in Luke 15. So we know this story that this man had two sons, and then the younger of the sons said, give me my inheritance so I can leave. And he gave him his inheritance, and he went on his way, and when he went off to a far country, he squandered it. And there came a point where famine, a severe famine came. One of the things you can bank on is when you walk away from the father's house, there will become, you will have a time of famine. A fear, a, a severe famine came. And where did he find himself? He found himself in need. He found himself in need in a foreign country. And the text says that no one gave him anything. One of the things we know when we get out there and we're on our own and we're far away from our father's house, you're on your own for real. But because the world is going to uh, distribute uh, not much to you as you're out there, not enough to sustain you. We could find ourselves in that condition in many ways. 
That, that famine uh, for him was him being in a pigsty and starving and no one helping him. But someone else could just feel the loss of the intimacy with God because they left this house. Others can feel hopeless or a sense of loss, emotional and mental turmoil. Uh, that famine could be described in a lot of ways. No one gave him anything, and he came to his senses. And when he came to his senses, he says, in my father's house, even the servants have plenty. So he went back, and he went back to his father's house, not with an expectation that he's going to maintain the same status that he left with. If he just accepts me as a servant. I'll take that. I, I, I messed up. But that's not what his father had in store for him. His father was looking for him and waiting for him. And when he saw him a long way off, ran to him and he embraced him and he invited him in. In the same way we read this text about someone being afar off, being far away from God and the promises of God. This is where this young man found himself. What did the father do? He restored him, celebrated him. But there was another son, the son that, that stuck around, the, the son that claimed to have followed the rules. But it was obvious that even that son did not find himself in the right relationship with his father. When the son hears what's going on, he says, what's happening? He says, your brother has returned and they have killed the fattened calf. And when the father comes out and asks the son, why aren't you celebrating us? One of the things that the son says is, but when this son of yours came. Just, just the way he framed who this other person was. This was his brother. But he said, this son of yours, he, he went and squandered everything, and now you're celebrating him. But the father's reply was, this your brother. This your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and now he's found. Just like it wasn't a physical death that we read in Ephesians, here it wasn't a physical death, but he was, he was dead, and now he's found. So when we look at those two sons, it's, it's like the Jewish person that had the law but could not, could not perfectly obey the law. And the one the Gentile who was afar off, and God brought him close. Verse 20 says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the stone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows. That, that grows mean a continual process, growing into what? Growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together, unity, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Imagine the church is called God's dwelling place. A couple of words that we've heard in Ephesians chapter 2, one being life another being peace, another being hope. All of those things are found in God. It was Christ alone who solved the problem between the relationship between God and man and between man and man. He draws men to God and to each other in his own person. Christ is both peace and the peacemaker. For the case of the Gentiles, they were void of the knowledge of God. There existed no hope for them. They were in darkness, but now. They are no longer separated. 
because we are no longer separated, it opens up a whole new sphere of possibilities for the believer. We are not who we used to be. We are no longer blind. We have this present salvation that we possess and we have the future hope in all that God is going to do. So, so the question as we consider those things is, what is the church? A church is the gathering and fellowship of the family of God. It is the body of Christ. It is the temple of the spirit. It is the pillar and foundation of truth. It is the bride of Christ. It is Christ's flock. We use these metaphors to describe the church because there is no other organization anything like the church. No other body like it, no group of people like the church. We, we, we should not treat the church like it's a, a club that we belong to or a building that we go to or some kind of performance well, you know, that just didn't, like, move me today. Or, you know, I, I didn't really like those uh, songs. That is not what the church is about. Matter of fact, every time the worship team is up here, they are not performers. They are worshipers. One of the constant conversations that we have is about holiness, about consecration, about what you do on Saturday matters, what you do during the week matters. You're not up here to perform. You are up here to worship God because you are a worshiper and the congregation is invited and worshiped together. What you think of the church matters. When anyone is up here giving the word, it is something that God has deeply impressed on our hearts, things that we study. The preparation time is a spiritual battle, and the presentation of God's word we do with fear and trembling. We do not take these things lightly. And as we are ministering, God's word is powerful. And the same time that I'm preaching, I'm receiving. The same time when I'm sitting there and someone else is preaching, I am receiving. I need it just as much as we all do. That's why this text says, remember, remember who you were, remember who you are, remember who I am. For us to do day in and day out. Your understanding of what the church is will shape your life and your living. Your understanding of what the church is will shape your life and your living. Attending church does not make you a Christian, but Christians attend church. Not being in the church, not constantly being in the church removes you from the path of encouragement. It removes you from accountability. It removes you from love between brothers and sisters. Being in church is more than just information transfer. That, that is not what the church is about. And our faith cannot be built and was not to be built in isolation. It, it is not, I will just um, go to church when I feel like it, but this is about me and God, and I could do this and prescribe for myself the path that I'm going to take to get there. You put yourself in danger. And not, not only that, when you're here, there, and everywhere, and jumping around from church to church, and hearing all these messages from all of them, you're putting yourself in danger. You better watch what you're eating, because you're feeding your soul something, and it matters. Make a decision on where you're going to be and what you're going to do because church is much bigger than I come in, I receive something, I leave. First off, watch what you're receiving. And you're supposed to be part of what God is doing in the church. In the book, Rediscovering Church, it states that a church is like an embassy of heaven. An embassy is an official sanctioned outpost of one nation inside the border of another. 
it represents, it speaks for that foreign nation. It, it represents its government. A church is like an embassy of heaven. An embassy is an official sanctioned outpost from one nation inside the border of another nation. So in other words, officially sanctioned, God plants churches on earth that reflect heaven, that give the message of heaven, that speaks the word of heaven, that's about the business of heaven. It is it's diplomatic business. What's a gathered church. It is the assembly, is the embassy of heaven. Step inside of a church, and what should you find? A whole different nation. A, a church had better not look like it looks out there. When, when you step in a church, you are stepping into a whole different nation. If you were to go into an embassy, let's say in New York by um, uh, whatever nation... What do you call that? United Nations. And you go into one of those embassies. They, they shouldn't be speaking English if their language is French. They're speaking French. They're eating French food. They're keeping French customs. And, and you know what business they better be about? The representatives that sent them over there to that foreign place to institute what they said, this is our position. That this is what the church is, coming from God down from heaven, established by him with Christ ahead. You can come up, Heather. It's a whole different nation, sojourners, exiles, and citizens, Christ's kingdom. Inside such a church, you should hear the king's heavenly words declared. You should hear Heavenly language, language that's spoken in a different way about faith, about hope, about love. You should get a taste of the end time heavenly banquet through the Lord's Supper. You should be charged with diplomatic business. Is that what your church is like? That's what it should be. You should be about that business and bringing it to the nation on behalf of the one who sent you, who planted you right there. And, and those heavenly citizens inside that church should be poor in spirit. They, they should be meek. They, they should be hungering and thirsting for righteousness. They, they should be pure in heart. They should be peacemakers. This is what the church is, family. What we think about the church shapes our lives and shapes what we do. The church's main job is to teach and then model how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's the job of the church, to teach and then model what it is to be a disciple for Jesus Christ. You, you don't need the church to be born again, but you do need the church to walk alongside you to help you walk out your faith. Would you stand with me, family, so I could pray for you? One of the things uh, and one of the main themes through everything that we spoke about today was unity. It, it, was, it was God breaking down these borders, these, these things that were in the way of relationship. First and foremost, and the most important one was Christ building this bridge by his work on the cross that sinful people, could have relationship with a holy God. Not only a relationship, but a relationship where we call him Father. 
not only a relationship, but a purpose that he would call us to. The position that he's seated us in. And even in the midst of him continually doing a work in us as his workmanship, using us for his glory. His ambassadors that are part of his embassy that come to get their marching orders to be strengthened, to understand and clarify the mission, what role they play in it, and to go out into the world. That's the church. This is what we're called to do. If God can bring unity with sinful man and a holy God through the finished work of Christ, if God can take Gentiles and Jews and start the early church by making them a people under Christ in every area of our life where there's disunity, where there's strife, and there's many areas in our lives that fall under that at times. Sometimes it's with brothers and sisters in the church. Sometimes it's with children and their parents. Sometimes it's husbands and wives. Sometimes it's with siblings. Even, even in, in my own life, my, my parents have eight children, and I've seen over the years how the enemy will try to divide and you know how they're divided? Those that are saved and those that aren't. Pay attention to the agenda. And we can't have relationship with anyone that is not willing to have relationship with us. But there are a lot of things we can do as believers. We can pray for We can make sure that we're not holding on to pain and bitterness and resentment and keeping the door closed on our side. We can make sure that it's clear that as best I can on my side, I want to reconcile. If God took a guilty people and paid a price for them, if God took people that were far off and united them with people that were trying to make it and they still didn't have what it took to be in right relationship with them and bring them together as one group, surely he can mend relationships with our brothers and sisters, with our parents, with our children, with those within the body. Let's spend the time in prayer just for that unity to take place. Father, we so thank you for your word this day, Lord. First and foremost, that Jesus, you made a way for us that were dead in our trespasses and sin, following after the desires of our flesh, those of us that were in darkness, By your grace and mercy, Lord, you brought us close. You broke down those walls. We thank you, Lord, for those that had your law but could not keep it perfectly. You brought the cross for them as well. And not only did you draw us to each other, to, to yourself, Father, but even to each other, Lord. Father, this day we pray that you would draw those that don't know you, that they would repent, Lord, that they would look to you, the Son of God who came down from his throne, lived the perfect life, and died a death that we deserve to pay a price he did not owe, but he paid for the sinner that would put their faith in him, Lord. Would you touch your heart today, God? And then you rose again 
and ascended into heaven. And you are seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for your children. And in your perfect timing, you will return for your church. Father, we pray for all the relationships that we have, Lord, where there's pain, where there's separation, Lord, that you would bring about unity, that you would do a work on our hearts, Lord, for restoration. Some relationships could be estranged for a decade, two, three. Would you do a work, Lord? Would you do a work between children and their parents? Would you do a work between husbands and wives, Lord? As, as we've been a part of your promise and how you brought us into relationship with you, surely these other things that we are petitioning you for, Lord, are not too big for you. You're God. You can do anything. So we pray for those on the other end of the relationships, Lord, that you would do something in their hearts, Lord, to soften it, to bring about unity, to bring about peace, because you are peace and the peacemaker. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for this word today. Let us walk out of here with a new thought on what the church is. It is us. Corporately, and as we go out, we represent the church. We represent God, Jesus Christ, the head of the church, each one of us being a member and called to walk in the giftings that you've placed in us for your glory. Lord. So we thank you for this time and what you're going to do in our hearts and what you've already done, Lord. Touch these relationships and our relationship with you. Be glorified in your house and each one of our hearts. Let us leave here with a confidence that the work, the good work, the good work that you started in each one of us, you will bring to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that your word says that if you be lifted up from the earth, you will draw men to yourself. Would you do that? In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, family. We'll see you at the next service. Walk in the power and strength of the Lord.